Praise God. Amen. Well, again, good to see everybody this morning. And I'm excited this morning because we're starting a new series. Uh, We had been in the book of Noah. Oh, gosh, dog it. The series, Noah, the book of Genesis. And uh, I'm going to have to go to counseling for that. I don't know how else I'm going to break that that, that habit. But we had been in the story of Noah, looking at the story of Noah in the book of Genesis. And today we're starting a new series called Fresh Start. Now, at the beginning of 2020, right before all the stuff went down with Corona, we were in a series called Do Over. And we didn't really get to finish it the way that I wanted to finish it. There were some things I wanted to talk about, but when we went into the, the Corona season, we kind of had to shift gears a little bit. And so I went back and revisited that because I've always wanted to go back and revisit that series because there were a lot of things that I think we needed to talk about and that needed to be shared. And so a little different, but it contains some of the things that were in that series and some new things as well that I wanted to talk about. So we're calling the series Fresh Start. And it's really just about that. I mean, it pretty, obviously the name is, it implies what it's about, but just about getting a fresh start. The other series was called Do Over, and we were talking about you know, sometimes in life, how hey, you just need a, you need a do-over, right? You, you made a big mistake, you made a big blunder, and you need to re, redo it. And I, and I think when we started that series, I was joking because uh, Brandon, our youth pastor, who's also my brother-in-law, he's the one who taught me how to play golf, which I don't really play golf anymore, I, maybe once a year at best. But there was a little time there where we were playing golf, and what I learned very quickly about Brandon... <clears throat> is that he's what I like to call a golf Pharisee. Now, if you know anything about the Pharisees in the Bible, then you you understand what it is. But they were were sticklers for the law and the letter of the law. And they wanted to penalize you every time you broke the slightest little thing. And Brandon is a golf Pharisee. Now, he's not a Pharisee in other ways, okay? But when it comes to golf, he is. And so Brandon had no concept of the mulligan. All right, if you know what a mulligan is when you play golf, when you're not a good golfer, you need several mulligans per game. And, uh, but not with Brandon. When you were with Brandon, there were no mulligans. It was, you were held to the letter of the law. But a mulligan, the idea is you get a do-over, right? You, you swung the club, you know what you were supposed to do. Uh, you hit the dirt first or you shot it off in the pond or water. And you just, you know what, I just need a do-over, right? Just forget that one and let me, let me have another shot at the golf ball. And that's what a do-over is. And how many of you ever feel like you've, you've needed that in life? Amen. Maybe with a season, maybe with a relationship, maybe in your marriage, maybe you just, you're like, you know what, I just wish I had a do-over. Unfortunately, there are no mulligans in life, not like that. But with God, what you need to remember is there's always an opportunity for a fresh start with God. Not always with man, but with God, there's always a fresh start. Why do I make the distinction? Well, uh, you don't always get a do-over with man. You know, sometimes what we've done is so uh, hurtful, so wrong, so much trust was broken, so much damage was done that you don't always get a do-over with man. And and actually, uh, that's not really what your expectation should be. But with God... You always get a do-over. With God, you always can have a fresh start. Now, we're gonna, this series is going to be really practical, 
and I'm going to walk you through, uh, from my experience, walking through many do-overs and fresh starts with people, what I've learned, the path of the do-over is, the path of the fresh start is. And I want to give you some very practical steps. And this works whether you're just in a small, you know, uh, maybe just had an argument with your wife and you need a fresh start. Uh, you know, it, it, but if you've made a big, big life blunder, it works there too. But it's going to be very practical, this series. I'm going to give you some real practical steps to follow and things like that. But today, we're going to start with just creating the right perspective. And I want us to begin in Luke chapter 15, verse 7. And this is the story of the prodigal son. We're not going to go through the whole story because it's a long story. Luke chapter 15, verse 7. Uh, and the reason that I want to start here is because sometimes when you need a do-over in your life, a fresh start, I've noticed that a lot of times people who need a fresh start the most, they feel the least eligible or qualified for it. Because one of the ways that they're sort of... Uh, trying to make amends is by horrible they feel about themselves. And I've seen this with a lot of people that the very first step, before you can even begin that fresh start, you have to actually believe that God is for you and God wants you to have that fresh start. So many times people that have made a mess of things, they live in constant shame, constant regret, constant guilt, and they feel like because they're wanting to punish themselves, they don't deserve a fresh start. And it's a way of almost making penance. And it's almost a way of paying for what you've done by feeling horrible. And every time you think about what you've broken and who you've hurt, and you just live in that place of regret and guilt, you feel like it's a, it's a form of punishment. And so you're like making amends for it. But listen, that is anti-gospel in every way anti-gospel because you know what I don't care how bad you feel I don't care how sorry you feel for yourself I don't care how much regret you have you'll never pay for your own sin that way you'll never make amends for it that way it's the point of the cross was to carry the payment for that sin and and think specifically about it you go well I was stupid I made a mistake I did this I, I wish I could go back and do this you can't go back and do it but from this point forward, you can have a fresh start with God. The slate can be wiped completely clean with God, and you can get a fresh start today. This was kind of the experience uh, that the prodigal son had. It's a story that Jesus told in Luke chapter 15. Many of you know the story. I'll summarize the first part. Uh, there was a man that had two sons, and the first son came to him and said, I would like my inheritance now. And, I, and I, want to, I don't want to wait till I'm old. I don't want to wait till you die. Man, we're already starting off on the wrong foot, right? Can you imagine going to your parents, or, or as parents, can you imagine any of your kids coming to you and saying that? You just, they'd probably get slapped, right? They'd probably, you, an inheritance, that's the last thing you're about to get. I'm about to write you out of my will completely. They come, but he came, he said, look, I don't want to wait till you die. I want my inheritance now. Now the father gave it to him, and what did he do? He went and squandered it completely. The Bible says he, he wasted it on, on partying and, and living and things like that. Now we pick up in verse 17. It says, But when he came 
to himself. Now, now many people that have made a mess of things, they have this moment where they come to themselves. And they snap and they look up and they, they have a realization that you wish you'd had about a few years ago or a few months ago. You wish you'd had that realization before. But you come to yourself and you look around and you go, look at all the pain I've caused. Look at all the hurt I've caused. Look at the betrayal. Look at the disloyalty to God. Look at all of it. And so they, they come to themselves. Now, what you do from that moment is very important. Remember, Jesus is the one telling this story. And he's, he's telling it to illustrate a point. He says, when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. You remember he was living with the pigs and eating out of the pig trough. He said, I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy. Everybody say worthy. I am no longer worthy. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me instead as one of your hired servants. So he has this mentality that he's not worthy. He's not good enough to receive a complete restoration with his father. Why? Because of the shame, guilt, regret, realization of the horrible, disrespectful, thing that he has done to his father he says I'm no longer worthy of my previous status as your son but at least I could come in as a servant have you ever felt like this maybe with God maybe with people you felt what I did was so bad I know I can never get back to where I was because I'm not worthy I don't deserve that status so he came, verse 20, he arose and came to his father. But while he was a still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they begin to celebrate. <coughs> so first thing I noticed is that the son's mentality was completely different than the father's mentality. He saw himself as unworthy, but that's not how the father saw him at all. Now, Jesus is the one telling this story because he knows this is a common problem. And, it, and he's given this illustration to say that when this happens, when this type of thing happens, here's how God feels towards the person that's returning. He doesn't feel, look, th did the father run out and say, listen, we're going to get back here, but first, me and you got a few things to talk about. First, I want you to understand everything that you did. I want to make sure that you completely understand the way that you hurt me, your mother, your brother, all of this family. I want you to get it and understand every bit of it. Did he do that? No. That may come later. I don't know. But the first thing was you're back. You're back, and that's what matters. You're back and you're loved and no, you're not going back to a, a, a servant. You're not going to a servant status. You're coming in as my 
son. And for a lot of people, I see them struggle with this mentality. Now, there's a lot we can learn from this story. First thing I notice is that the father did not go chase him down. You never see that anywhere in the story, that the father went looking for the son, went out searching for the son, went out trying to beg him to come back. He didn't do that. He, he, was, he was there, and when the man came to himself, when he came to himself and he was ready to repent, that's when the restoration happened. I'm not going to focus on that today, just a point I want to bring up. The second thing that I believe from this story is that his inheritance was lost forever. That money couldn't be got back. He's not going to take it from the brother. That would be wrong. So the inheritance, he never got the inheritance back. In other words, he lost something physical and something natural. And that's the problem with sin, isn't it? Because sin takes... When you get involved with sin and Satan, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and he will take from you, and you don't always get it back simply by repenting. What you can always get back is your status with God. You can always be a son. You can always get sonship. You can always be forgiven. You can always be restored back to perfect and right relationship with God. And isn't that what really matters? Amen. Praise God. But through simple repentance, and we're going to get to that in the rest of the series, but we're not focusing on that today. He didn't get his inheritance back. That was lost. And sometimes that happens with our choices. We, that's why I say you always get a do-over with God, but you don't necessarily always get a do-over with man. Or you don't always get it in the natural. In other words, sometimes <clears throat> there are natural consequences that have to be walked out. And just because you repented doesn't mean they go away. Again, this man never got his inheritance back, at least not the one that he, that he squandered. Now, again, I want to remind you <clears throat> that Jesus was... Uh, telling this story to make a point. And here's the point that he was making. We've got to back up to Luke 15.1. Here's why he told the story. Luke 15.1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus. <clears throat> and the Pharisees and the scribes, that's the most religious, right? Most religious people, most holy in their own eyes and mind. The Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So they see the, the, the rejects of society, the lowest, the dirtiest, the, the most wicked, the most sinful. They are gathering themselves to Jesus so that they can be healed, restored, and, and repent and all of that. And the Pharisees see it. And by the way, I've seen people in church like this too. And I've seen people in church that, that would align more with the Pharisees than they do Jesus. But quick to condemn, quick to pass judgment, quick to be critical, quick to make sure that you get what you deserve. How many of you know that's not your role? That is not your role. And if you put yourself in that role, you're putting yourself in a very dangerous place. You know why? Because you have your own sins to answer for. And you will stand before God, not as one who needs mercy. You will stand before God as one who put themselves in place as judge. And that's why Jesus said, you better be careful. Judge not, lest you be judged. If you want mercy, you show mercy. Amen. So the Pharisees, that's not how they live. They looked at sinners dirty, despicable, separate from them, don't even associate with them. You know, the Bible does tell us there are people we're not supposed to associate with. But it's not sinners. It's Christians. 
It, it's Christians that say they're Christians but still live in hypocrisy. But that's another, another sermon. So Jesus saw this happening. He, saw, he sees their attitude. And they said, this man. See, they're, they're actually disqualifying Jesus is what they're doing in their mind. This man receives sinners and eats with sinners. Spends time with sinners. That shows us right there he's not the Messiah. That shows us right there he's not a man of God because God would never associate with people like this. They couldn't have been more wrong. These are the very people that Jesus came for. These are the very people that God came for. These are the very ones while he's, while he's here. And he even said, he said, it's not the, the well and the healed that need a physician, it's the sick. That's, that's who he came for. So the Pharisees thought that sinners should be shunned. And sometimes the church has taken on this mentality. Praise God, not this church. But sometimes I've seen this being in churches. Sometimes the mentality is sinners should be shunned. But you know, actually, how, how is a sinner, how is a sinner going to get saved, healed, and delivered except by coming in contact with the power and love of Jesus Christ? So, no, they don't get shunned. They get brought in for the purpose of healing and restoration. You know, I was on staff at a church several years ago, and I remember when I came on staff, this was a large church, when I came on staff, there was a, one of, the, one of the first kind of instances that I found out about in the church, there was this young lady, probably in her early 20s, that was on staff at the church in the media department. And when I showed up, she was about probably four months pregnant or so because I, she was showing and all of that. So I later learned all of, you know, I thought, well, you know, she's married, whatever. I later found out the story that, in fact, she was not married. This, this lady... This young girl had, she had been raised in one of the most straight-laced families that you would ever meet. I mean, I met them through the years as I was there. And this family was like the epitome of a typical, like, Christian family, what you would think. You know, all of their kids homeschooled, just like super strict on, on everything. A good family, not, not overly, but, you know, a good family. And this girl had gotten into a relationship when she moved out of the house. Um, it was a very unfortunate situation, and she ended up pregnant. And the boyfriend wanted nothing to do with the baby, wanted nothing to do with her. And so they, they broke up. They didn't get married. And so now the pastor has this thing on his hands that he's got to handle. We've got this girl on staff. I mean, she's in the media department, you know, so she's not like a pastor or something like that. But, you know, still, she's, she's in the media, she's on staff at the church. So what do we do? How do we handle that? Because a lot of the public perception is going to be what? Well, you can't tolerate that. You can't, you can't allow that. You have to what? You've got to shun and isolate that. And I remember paying attention, watching, because I wanted to see how he was going to handle this, because that's not a situation anybody would want to be in. And so what ended up happening was, you know, the girl was, she was very repentant, very broken, very, you know, full of the shame and the guilt and all of that. And, and 
Now she has to bear this publicly. And can you just imagine in your mind for a second how a lot of churches and a lot of Christians would have handled that situation? I'm horrified to think about <laughs> the types of things that have been done and, and, and handled. But the way that this pastor handled this was uh, he kept her on staff. It wasn't hidden. Everybody knew about it. It wasn't like they tried to cover it up. Everybody knew this happened. She talked about it to the staff. She talked about it openly. If you asked her, it was a, it was a mistake. It was a sin. She was repentant for it. The pastor kept her on staff. And you know what? That church rallied around her. And that every, every need that that baby had and that that girl had was provided by the church, by the church people. And everyone rallied around her and took care of her. Now... It was beautiful to me, and I remember as a future leader and pastor, I remember watching that and learning and going, how much integrity it must take for a pastor to do that, because, because I know there was a lot of people in that church that didn't understand that, and probably disagreed with that, but, it was, but, that, but that individual was put ahead of what everybody else was going to think and how everybody else was going to misinterpret it. And that, that spoke a lot to me. And you see Jesus being put in that situation often where they don't understand. It's, it's misunderstood. Why are you hanging out with this guy? You got a you gotta prostitute pouring oil on your feet. Okay, that's a little weird. All right, you got, you got weird things. But Jesus was willing to be misunderstood because of the one. He cared more about the soul of that one person and he cared less about what the crowd at large thought about it because he cared more about that person. He cared more about doing what was right for that person. Now, of course, if you're hearing what I'm saying, no one's condoning what the girl did. We know that that's against the Scripture. It didn't turn out, you know, it's not going to be the best for her and all of that. We know that God's not for what happened or the way it happened. No one is saying that. But isn't it funny how we will treat sins a little bit differently depending on what they are? You know, you, you, find out something that can, you find out something about somebody that can be hidden and covered up. Yeah, we'll take care of that and, they, and we'll let them stick around. But you find out something that you can't hide and cover up, then all of a sudden it gets handled completely different. How many know that's not the heart of God? That's not the heart of God. And that was such a testimony to me about the heart of God, how to walk with someone and I just thought about for her, I thought, man, this was a defining moment for her. If the church had reacted one way, she probably would have never stepped foot in a church again. Versus the way the church did react, it galvanized her to support the church and be part of the church. Because this is what the church of God looks like and the family of God looks like. See, we don't always see things how God sees it. The Pharisees were notorious for this. The Pharisees always saw things. They were always on the wrong side of every issue. And they thought for sure that they knew how God thought about it. They had whole passages of the Bible, chapters, books memorized. They taught it. The scribes wrote it out by hand. And they were convinced. We know how God thinks and how God feels. And we speak for God. If we say this is wrong, if we say don't do this, it's the same as if God said it. They put themselves in that position. That's how they thought. But it, they couldn't have been more wrong. They often and always found themselves on the wrong side of an issue. God was over here and they found themselves over here. And this is a hallmark 
evidence and hallmark example of religious people that don't have a true relationship with God, but they, they hold themselves up here like they know everything and they judge everybody except themselves. And they think they speak for God and know how God thinks about everything. You need to, we need to all humble ourselves and get the heart of God and listen more than we do talk and listen more than we do pass judgment and say, God, what do you want to do and how do you want to handle these situations? Amen? So it requires a lot of humility. In Lamentations chapter 3, verse 14, Jeremiah was feeling really rough, really down, very frustrated because he's prophesying to the children of Israel. They're not listening. It's just a bad moment. In verse 20, uh, excuse me, yeah, verse 21, he says, But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They may, man's mercy may come to an end, but God's mercy never comes to an end. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercy never comes to an end. They are new every morning. Isn't that great news? That the mercy of the Lord is new every morning? Listen, you can't live on what happened yesterday. You can't live in regret over what happened yesterday. The Bible says that the mercy of God's new every morning. What does that mean? Fresh start. Fresh start for you. I messed up yesterday. I screwed up yesterday. I, I bumbled this yesterday. I destroyed that. Oh, I did this. Oh, five years ago, ten years ago, twenty years ago. People still living there. Listen, the mercy of the Lord is new every morning. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. Listen, I, I want you to have hope this morning in the faithfulness and mercy of God. If you are seeing yourself as a broke down, beat down, worthless sinner that made a mess of everything, I want you to get God's perspective this morning. I want you to get God's view this morning of yourself and how he sees you. Listen, you're not, your, your vision of yourself is not in alignment with his. And, and there's no, I'm not blaming people for doing this, okay? But people may have been mad at you. They may have condemned you. They may have yelled at you. They may have pointed out everything you did wrong. They were probably right. But, and God sees it, and he sees it more than they do. Right? He, he, he knows the full extent of what you did because a, a person may have missed a few things, but God didn't miss anything. He knows it fully and he says, yet every morning my mercy is new for you and I'm ready to give you a fresh start from this point forward. Jeremiah, who wrote the book of Lamentations, he also wrote the book of Jeremiah. And I'm just giving you a little context to this chapter. We're going we're gonna to look at Jeremiah 29. The people had made a complete mess, the children of Israel. At this point, they've ruined everything. The promised land has been squandered. I've talked to you so much about that, but they, they lost the promised land that God gave them. Severe punishment and consequences. The whole city's been ransacked. King Nebuchadnezzar's taken over everything. He's exiled many of the Israelites to Babylon. It's just a complete mess. And many of them, undoubtedly, rattled with regret, rattled with with wish I could, should have, should have done, wish I could do it over, we've lost everything, oh, if we had just listened, yeah, all of that. 
And then Jeremiah says this, Jeremiah 29, 10. For thus says the Lord. This isn't Jeremiah. This is God speaking. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Even 70 years before restoration was going to happen, God's already thinking about how they're going to get a fresh start. He's already thinking about you caused all of this, but I'm already thinking about how I'm going to restore you and bring you back to the place that you were at and to the right relationship with me. Verse 11, he said, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. They are plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. Listen, this is a word for everybody here. I know he's talking to Israel. The word of God is the same to you. If you will call upon me and pray to me, I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to this place from which I sent you into exile. This is God's promise to Israel. He said, look, you did. You made a mess of everything. But let me just tell you what my plan, my plans are not to leave you here. My plans are not to just rub your face in this over and over and over again. My plans for you, he said, I know the plans I have for you. He said, they are for your welfare. They are not for evil to give you a future and a hope. And if you will seek me, and if you will turn to me, I will be found by you. And look what he says, I will restore your fortunes. God is so good at this. There's nobody better. There's nobody better than God at this. Now, He has a process for this. The first part of this is predicated by when you call upon me and pray to me and you seek me with all of your heart. Okay, there's a process that we're going to get into in the next few weeks. It doesn't just happen because you felt bad, it doesn't just happen because you heard a good sermon. There's a process to walking out the fresh start. And the Bible lays it out for us perfectly. So we're going to get into that in the next few weeks. But this morning, I just want you to believe that a fresh start is possible. And I want you to believe that you are valuable enough to receive that fresh start. I want you to believe that you're a candidate. I want you to believe that God considers you valuable and that he doesn't want to just see you wallow in your punishment. That's the whole reason Jesus came. He wants to see you get up and walk in everything that God has called you to do from this point forward. Amen. Amen. Who deserves a fresh start? Who is eligible for a fresh start? Well, as far as I know, everybody. I never met a person that wasn't. Peter was eligible when he denied Christ three times. David was eligible when he committed adultery with Bathsheba and murdered Uriah. Paul was eligible when he stoned Christians and murdered Christians and put Christians in prison. The thief on the cross was eligible. So as far as I know, everybody's eligible. I never met a person that wasn't eligible. And why would that be? Why would that be? Well, the, the answer lies in your value. 
It lies in how truly valuable you are. And, and I don't want you to think about it collectively. <clears throat> I don't want you to think about how valuable we are. I know we are valuable to God. It's not that. Only you. Put your name. You are valuable to God. And that's why everyone is eligible. Look at what David wrote, Psalm 139.1. He says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. How many people do you know that knows you to this degree and this level that still like you and love you? You have searched me, know me. You know when I sit down, rise up. You know all my thoughts. You searched out my path, lined out. You're acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain it. But yet, but considering all that, he says, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where, where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. But look at verse 13, please. This is, this is how he feels about you, okay? Please put your name here. Please see this for yourself. He says, for you formed me, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. When, when the little cells and everything were just coming together, it says that God is the one that knitted you together in your mother's womb. And now you think that he's somehow forgotten about you? You think somehow you have no value to him? You knitted me together in my mother's womb, for I, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. What is he saying? He's saying that before you were ever born, God knew you. He knew your name. The Bible said he knows every hair that's on your head. His thoughts towards you are more than the sand of the sea. We have to understand this about God. It's not hard for God to treat you like you're the only person that exists. That's hard for us to imagine, but that's how God lives and operates every day. It's as if you're the only person that exists. And that's how he feels about you. So the reason why you're eligible for a do-over is because of your extreme value to God. Now, everything has a value assigned to it. <clears throat> And determining value can be difficult because, you know, you go to the store and there's a price on it and this is what they want for it. And we think, okay, well, that's how much it costs. But, but those prices can go up and down, right, as we've seen in some recent months and years. The prices can change. Something that costs $2, we go, oh, that's worth, eh, it's worth about $2, might be $5 today. 
and people still pay it. Why? Because, well, there was a price on it for this much, but really it's worth paying for this. And there's some things that we only pay a few dollars for that in the right time we might pay $100 for. Like bread, milk. In the right time, we might pay a lot more because they've become more value. They've increased in value. And there are some things that they're just very hard to establish a value. But one of the ways you establish the value of something in reality is just simply what is a person willing to pay for it. And so the way we do that is by putting things up for auction. You bring it to an auction, we go, we're not going to put a set value. We're going to just put it out there. We're going to tell you about it. And then everybody can just tell us how much they are willing to pay for it. And you, you reach that limit of what it's worth when finally there's only one person who's willing to pay this max value. And sometimes things are a lot more valuable than people thought. You know, this happened uh, in, uh, in 2010. There was this special uh, Chinese vase, like the Keelong vase or something like that. I can't remember. But it was, this, this happened in 2010, but the vase was like from the 1700s. And these people, they were in London, and some family member, their parents had passed away, and they found this vase in their house. And an appraiser, whatever, looked at it, and they said, well, that, that's a very expensive vase. That vase is worth about a million dollars. And so they were excited. They were thrilled. They, they took it to the auction house. They put it up for auction. Well, when it sold, it sold for $70 million. So somebody looked at it and said, this is your value, but that wasn't anywhere close to its value. And the only way that the value was assessed was by how much somebody was willing to pay for it. So the question is, the reason we're talking about that is, what is your value? Well, your value is what someone was willing to pay for you. And, and the price that was willing to be paid for you was the Son of God. Your value has been set, and your value has been determined by the most precious and the most expensive thing in the entire universe. God said, I will exchange this for that, which God would never, I don't believe, would ever give something of, of greater value for lesser value. If you weren't worth it, and you weren't valuable enough he would have never made that exchange, which, by the way, Jesus submitted to it and was willing to do it too. How many of you know he could have wiped us all out and started over? He could have, look at all the trouble we've caused. He could have wiped us all out and started over. It would have been a lot simpler. Jesus wouldn't have had to die. He could have made humans 2.0, a little bit better version. Not as prone to sin and stupidity and rebellion. He could have done that. But he said, I'm not doing that. They're valuable enough. And in, in, the, in the hope and prayer that no one will perish, I'm going to exchange the most valuable thing that has ever existed for these humans. So whenever, listen, whenever you consider yourself worthless... You consider yourself of lower value. It's an insult to who Jesus is. If you were worthless, his, his blood wouldn't have been paid for you. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. 
Peter said, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold. You see, in this, in this scenario, silver and gold is looked at like dirt when God, from God's perspective. When he's like, you, you weren't bought with money. Well, how much would you... How much is a human life worth? Is it billions? Is it trillions? And when he, he says in, the ter- in terms of money, he said, you weren't redeemed with some perishable thing like gold and silver that's basically worthless in God's eyes. But with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, God exchanged the life of Christ for your life. That tells you how valuable you are. So when you walk around... Beat down, defeated, feeling sorry for yourself, punishing yourself. Oh, I don't deserve that. You're not in alignment with God. You're in alignment with Satan. Because Satan, the Bible says, is the accuser of the brethren. And he lives night and day to accuse you to yourself, to accuse you before yourself, before God, to constantly condemn, to constantly beat down. Did you know that condemnation is not from God? When you feel condemned, it's not from God. Condemnation comes from Satan. Condemnation is the one that always is saying to you, you can't, I can't believe what you did. Look what you did. Look how horrible. Let's revisit the past. Let's re-examine it. Let's re-litigate it. Let's, let's bring it up again. Just about the time you're starting to feel okay. No, I'm not going to let. Let's turn and make you look at this. Look at what you did. Look at what you caused. Look at the pain you caused. Satan lives. For that. The Bible and, and God teaches us that what happened yesterday, the sin of yesterday, once it's been forgiven, he says it's, it's removed as far as the east is from the west, which that's on purpose because those two things can never touch. It just Think about the west side of the universe and the east side. They've never found the end. He says as, when, when you repent, your sins are removed from you as far as the east is from the west. In other words, there couldn't be anything on God's mind further from that, but yet you keep bringing it up. You keep thinking about it. You keep wanting to relook at it. Now, there's a process to walking this out. Just keep that in mind. But what I want you to get and understand this morning is God does not live to condemn you, judge you, point. He lives to restore you. He is looking to give you a fresh start to restore from, the, from his relationship with you even to your marriage, to your relationship with your kids, to your finances, to everything in your life that can be affected by the presence of God. He wants, he wants to affect it. He is for you. He is not against you. Praise God. The Word of God even tells us if God be for us, who can be against us? And God is for you. He is for you. So what I'm hoping happens in this series is, I'm hoping that there's a little switch that takes place in your brain. And, and some of you that have made big blunders, I hope that you begin to see God different and see yourself different. And you, you even begin to have a little something that Jeremiah called, which is hope. Hope that things could be different. Hope that maybe I could be restored that this area could see life again this area that looks dead that looks far gone that it could see life again when God's on your side anything is possible amen Amen. praise God let's stand on our feet this morning
Let's bow our heads before the Lord. Let's just pray together. Father, we come to you this morning by the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for every person in this room this morning that needs a fresh start. Well, we all need a fresh start from time to time. God, thank you that you are the God of the fresh start. You are the God of new beginnings, restoration, healing, rebuilding. And we're so thankful for that. God, thank you that you counted us valuable. You counted us worthy. Thank you that you shed the precious blood of Jesus to ransom us. We're so grateful, so thankful for what you see in us. Father, I pray for every person in this room this morning. God, every person that needs that fresh start. Lord, that that maybe even today could be their day. The, The day of new beginning. The day of starting fresh. The day of letting old things pass away and all things become new. Father, I pray this morning that your spirit would work all across this room. Every heart, every life, every mind. In Jesus' name. Now, if that's you this morning, I want to pray for you. If you say, that's me. I need a fresh start. I need God to do a work in my life. Listen, God is already working in your life right now. His Spirit is here. His presence is here. And just right where you're at, I want you to begin to reach out to God. Say, God, I need a fresh start. I need to believe. I need to believe the value that you see in me. And I'm ready to go on this journey. I'm ready to go on this path, this walk of faith. Listen, God hears your prayer. He's reaching out to you this morning. Nothing but love, nothing but mercy. He'll walk you through it every step of the way. He is for you, not against you. In Jesus' name. Now, with every head bowed and eye closed, I want to give you a chance also if you're here and you say, well, I don't know that I've even given my life to Jesus to be saved in the first place. I don't know that I'm a Christian. Well, that's the best place to start right there. That is the the first step in the path to a new beginning and a fresh start. If that's you, I want to pray for you this morning. The Bible teaches us that we receive salvation, we receive the new birth by trusting and believing that the sacrifice that Jesus paid was sufficient for my salvation. It was sufficient to pay the price for my sin. If you believe that in your heart and you confess it with your mouth, the Bible says that you can receive salvation into your life, that 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 price that Jesus paid will be applied to your life, to your debt. So if that's you, I want to pray for you this morning. God is listening. This is really between you and Him. It's something that He's going to do. It's a work that He's going to do in your heart and life. If that's you, I want to pray for you. I'm not going to ask you to come down to the front. I just want to pray for you in your seat right where you're at. But if that's you, would you lift your hand? Don't be ashamed. Just lift your hand up where I can see it. I want to pray for you this morning. Pray for God to work and move in your life. Amen. Amen. Praise God. You can put your hands down this morning. Also, if you've prayed that before, you know, but you need right, you need restoration, you need right fellowship with God, we're going to pray, we're going to include you in that prayer. 
So God is listening. Listen, I, I want you to pray this prayer that I'm going to pray in just a moment. I'm going to pray over you. Then I want you to pray this prayer after me. God's going to hear it this morning. And He's going to work in your life. Father, I pray for those that have lifted their hand to you and they're needing that fresh start. They're needing salvation. They're needing restoration. They're needing healing in their life. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work and move this morning. That not one person would leave this room unchanged, untouched by the power of God. But that your Holy Spirit would move and work and accomplish miracles all across this room this morning. In Jesus' mighty name. Now if you raised your hand, I want you to pray this prayer after me and all the church can feel free to pray along as well say dear heavenly father I repent of my sin I ask you to forgive me today I put my faith in Jesus Christ for my salvation I believe he died for me and I want to be a child of God in Jesus name amen come on let's give those a hand that lifted their hand this morning Amen. Amen. Praise God. Listen, if you raised your hand this morning and prayed that, I want you to know God's working. If you didn't raise your hand, there's nothing magical about raising your hand. But if you if you reached out to God this morning in that prayer, you need to know God heard it. He's with you. He is working. And He's moving in your life. Today is a new day for you. If you would like for someone from our church to help you, reach out to you, if you need questions answered, prayer, you know, if you need a Bible, if you need to get water baptized, we would love to connect with you. Uh, it's very simple. All you have to do is text LIFE OLC to 94000 and that'll give us your name and information and someone from the church will reach out to you this week. Also, we have communication cards in the seat in front of you. You can fill those out. Tell us the decision you made today. Drop it in the offering box. Um, on your way out today and we'll get those as well we'd love to connect with you love to help you love to be part of your journey um, that God is, is working in your life amen how many of you glad you came to church this morning man isn't God good praise God let me pray over you we're going to be dismissed this morning Father thank you once again for changing lives touching hearts ministering to us by your word and spirit this morning I pray as we leave today that hope would fill our hearts for a new start. That hope would fill our start, for, uh, fill our hearts for a fresh start. And that that hope would reside in our hearts all week. Lord, we bless you. We praise you. We thank you in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, Amen. Praise God. Hug somebody before you leave this morning. You guys are dismissed.